Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence. Somewhere out there, there's a man on a park bench eating his 500th PB&J. He has no idea Papa John's has new papadillas that are way better than a boring sandwich. With Papa John's best meats, cheeses, and veggies hand-folded into a crispy flatbread crust. Someone better tell that man. Get a new papadilla in one of four flavors for just six bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, better than a sandwich. Papa John's. Not valid with discounts, fees, and taxes. Extra prices may vary. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is the leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. Uh, We recently appeared on the list of 12 podcasts uh, to listen to to get more sales on allbusiness.com. And uh, that's because of the guests who join me uh, to have a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. So if there are topics that you are curious about or maybe you're struggling with in your business, you can listen in. There's someone who is a guest on this podcast at some point in time who has answers for you and is happy to share them with you. That is the case today. My guest is Kim Dawson. Kim is a business strategist specializing in helping creative and professional service-based business owners and solopreneurs connect their ambition to their results by focusing on revenue generation, pricing, sales, niching, business development, and growth. By working hand-in-hand with clients to create more efficient businesses that generate higher profits while maximizing their offerings and developing successful sales strategies, she teaches clients how to make more money while having more time to live a fulfilling life. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kim. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited about our conversation today. I am too. And I, I just love the part of your bio that I just love is 
helping clients not just make more money, but be able to live a more fulfilling life, that they really get to do both uh, and actually probably get to live a fulfilling life because they're making more money in their business. Yes, exactly. So it's a combination of the, the financial piece, the profitability, as well as the amount of time that you have available. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just love that. So we're going to talk um, a lot today about, you know, pricing and niching and, and that kind of thing. And um, one of the questions that I have for you, because I hear it a lot from people as well, is how does a business owner know if they're charging the right prices? Yes. And that is, you're right. That is a question I hear all the time as well. And one of the, I'm first going to address one of the reasons why they struggle so much with pricing. From what I have found, a lot of the solopreneurs and smaller business owners or micro business owners, if you, you will, they struggle because when they first launch their business, they are, one, desperate to get sales. They're desperate to bring in business, right? Because maybe they just left a job and now they have to try to replicate their previous salary. But they're also in a position where they're financially comparing what they earned before with what they think they should be bringing in now. And what they forget or fail to do is recognize that what you need to be charging your clients has to be much higher than what you were charging your employer as a salary, because you now have to cover all of these expenses that previously your employer was covering. And so I find that that's usually where the first mistake is. So people start putting together their pricing and they say, okay, well, you know, what services do I want to provide and how do I want to present those to my, my clients? And then they throw in a price tag that either they think sounds good or they think their competitors are charging or they think that their clients are willing to pay. But what they don't do is they don't take the time to actually calculate what they need to be charging in order to stay in business and grow their business. So the well, first, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, it, it really is. And I think that once you identify this and realize that it's a number that you need to calculate, then, then the game changes for you. So what I usually recommend if, if you are somebody who is a service-based solopreneur or small business owner is I ask you to look at three different components, three different things in your business. The first is you need to decide what you want your salary to be every year. And, and pick something, obviously you have to be reasonable, right? But you pick something that sounds like, yes, that's really my goal. This is my salary goal. And you write that number down. The second number that you have to come up with is all of your business expenses. So that includes your monthly software subscriptions, rent if you have it, um, legal fees, accounting fees, everything that you're putting into your business and add that total number up and say, okay, this is what I'm spending every year in my business to run my business. So that's the second number. The third number is what I call savings and growth. And that third number has to come from things like taxes, uh, putting aside money for retirement, which a lot of us sometimes forget about when you work for yourself, you also have to be saving for retirement. 
as well as growth and development in your business. So even if you're a small business owner and you have some pretty static expenses every month or every year, there are things that are going to come up. Like what happens when you get really busy and you realize you need to start hiring people, even if they're independent contractors, you need to have some money set aside for that. Or what about when you need to redo your website every couple of years and that's a big expense or perhaps paying a photographer to do all sorts of new brand photography or new headshots every year. There are going to be major expenses that come up and you have to be setting money aside for that. So when you take these three numbers and you put them together, your annual desired salary, your business expenses, and an amount for savings and growth, you come up with this new number. And that number is what you need to be aiming for each year for your annual revenue um, goal. That, that needs to be your revenue each year, gross revenue. Now, that's the first piece of the puzzle. So first you take this number and you look at it and it could be anything, you know, maybe it's $500,000 a year, whatever it might be. And you say, okay, this is my goal here that I need to be making and bringing into my business every year in order for it to be running at the place that I want it to run. But then the next step is to then look and say, well, how much time do I have available over the course of a year or a month, whatever you know, works for you in your calculations, to be doing billable client work. Mm -hmm. So depending on your business, that's, you know, it might look a little different for everybody, but what people have to realize is that if you say to yourself, well, I'm available 40 hours a week to work, I'll use that standard number, you're not available for 40 billable hours a week. You're lucky if you're available for 20 billable hours a week. So you have to start doing that calculation and working backwards to say, okay, well, here's my annual goal. And then here's how many billable hours I'm available per year for, for work and to, and to bill my clients. And then when you divide that out, you realize what your hourly billable rate really is. And then from that, you can start putting together proposals. You could start deciding on what you should be charging clients for certain projects or even just having a better understanding of what your time is worth and what you need to bill for in order to reach these revenue goals. That is fabulous. Thank you. I, I, oh my gosh, I so appreciate that. This is like one of these, one of these sections where I, I say to the listeners, you guys need to listen to this twice. Right. You, know, you need to really go back and listen to that again because that just, it makes so much sense and I totally get it. There are so many people out there who are only thinking about their own income. They're, they're not thinking about anything else because they've never had that frame of reference before, really. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, if you were somebody, you know, just for an example, if you were somebody who was an engineer before and you made $60 an hour as an employee, you might actually have to be billing your clients if you open an engineering firm at $180 an hour. And that's a hard thing to, to accept because you might be thinking, well, I can't charge three times what I was making before, but you're forgetting about all this other stuff that you have to be billing for that your employer was billing for. Okay, so, so I have a question about that very thing. Do you find that some service business owners have difficulty in their own 
head feeling uh, justified in charging for their services? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think a ton of solopreneurs and service-based owners have a hard time with that. And to be honest, I don't quite know why. I just know that I see it. I, I don't know if it's that there's a fear that people will say no, that they're going to put that proposal together and they're looking at it with their own mindset and saying, oh, that's a lot of money. I don't know. I don't know if I would pay that. And then they're afraid to present the proposal to the client. Or if it's just that they're so used to what they were making before, before they became an entrepreneur, I'm not really sure, but I definitely see that issue a lot. But I will tell you what I also see is that I know with clients that I work with, when I work through this with them to say, okay, I know that this is a scary number to be pitching this potential client, but here's what you really need to be proposing. And I walk them through that process and they pitch it. They almost always get that potential client to sign off. And then they come back and they say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that they actually gave me what I was asking for. So something that was in their mindset of, ooh, this is a lot of money, maybe I can't really ask for this. The person on the other end was like, oh yeah, I can understand that, no problem, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, that's so true. It's, yeah. it's, you know, we get stuck in our own head. It, it is. It is. Absolutely. And I also think it matters who your client is or who your target audience is, because it is more difficult if you are selling, if you are a B2C service-based business, it is more difficult to sell higher ticket items sometimes to consumers than it is if you're in more of a B2B model, because businesses are kind of used to spending more money to maintain their businesses. Uh, whereas consumers, they have more of a personal finance mentality. So sometimes it can, that can be a little bit trickier. But even then, even when that's your situation, when you're in a B2C, it still doesn't mean that people aren't willing to pay the prices that you need to be charging in order to stay in business and to keep your business profitable and in good shape. Because the difference is that you have to know the niche within the consumer market. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And that's where, that's where that, yeah. So that's where the niche piece piece comes in. Now I have seen, I know amongst my clients, some of them created a niche that is more towards a, a luxury market. And once they move towards more of a luxury market, they were able to charge higher prices for their services by niching down in that. And they've been very successful with that. What you have to be careful of if you're a service-based provider is don't go out there with high prices, but then go after a market that isn't really willing to pay those prices. It doesn't mean that your prices are wrong. It just means that you're probably trying to market something to the wrong market for your business. Right, 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 right. So, that, so that's part of really knowing who your market is really identifying that that at best at this price point here's where my market is it's not i'll say down here i, I don't mean you know down but, but if there's a range right yeah exactly and i think when you're defining the market one of the the tricky pieces where people can get stuck is they're looking for easy easy access to the market and they're 
mindset sometimes will say, okay, I know it's easy. I'm going to try to sell to everybody out there, whoever I see, whoever I know, I'm going to try to sell to them. And maybe by this rule of quantity, somebody will come along and buy from me. And the problem with that type of thinking for a small business is that really in order to market to a large group of people, you need a large budget. And small businesses do not have large budgets to market themselves everywhere. And what also winds up happening is you put yourself in a market where you're competing with other, other businesses that are also trying to market to everybody. And then you wind up being in a very highly competitive situation and it's difficult to get business that way. Instead, if you kind of look and say, well, who do I really want to work with? And what's my purpose? What's my mission in my business? And who out there is looking for what my mission is? Who, who aligns with me? And when you decide that, you realize that it's much better instead of marketing to everybody. Yeah. You find this one very specific market and you go after just them. And when you do that, your marketing costs are much lower. The time you spend marketing is much shorter. And you're going to have a higher conversion rate because you're just focusing in that pool of people who really do want what you have. And even if you work in a competitive industry, a highly competitive industry, you niche yourself out enough that you really stand out and your competition isn't really your competition. And I think that is such a huge point because I, I find that people, like, you're not going to do business with everybody. You're going to do business with the people you're supposed to do business with, the ones that really need and want what you have to sell uh, at, at a certain price point. You know, it's a, it's a solution that you're going to give them. And so knowing that quantity is not really the, the key because if you're talking to a whole bunch of people who have absolutely no need for what you have to sell, then you're not talking to anybody. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. just a waste of time. It's a waste of time yeah. on, on your side and it's a waste of time on theirs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And, and this goes a lot too into people's social media strategy. You know, there yeah. are a lot of people who are very overwhelmed by social media for a whole lot of reasons. And when people are trying to figure out their social media strategy, they're posting everywhere. They're posting on every platform. They're following all these trends. Oh, everybody's doing this. So I'm going to go and do that too. But they're not necessarily stopping to say, well, is my market even in this platform? And if I'm posting this information, do they even care what I'm posting? About? You know, and so you wind up spending all of this time focusing on this online marketing um, in this online marketing world, but perhaps half of the time that you're spending, you're not even speaking to your audience. So right. rather than you know, falling into the trap of, oh, I got to do what everybody else is doing. Instead, it's important to take the time to say, okay, who is my market? What are they, you know, what, what characteristics make them my market? And then ask yourself the questions of, well, where do they spend their time? Are they in this platform? Are they in this place? And then going a step further, a lot of service-based businesses don't really get a whole lot of business online. Some do, depends, but some get more from networking, from referrals, from 
speaking engagements from other places that are offline. So take a look at your business and say, where do I really get my business from? And then focus your efforts in those areas and maybe a little bit less in the areas that just aren't generating many results. Yeah, and I think something you just said is really important that you have to be careful that you don't go down the trendy roads because marketing gurus are telling everyone this is where you need to be because they're talking in generalities and you have to really, you know, hone in on who your market is and where they're going to be receiving the information. And as you just said, where you're actually getting those clients from. Exactly. Exactly. You've got to really look at where you're getting the clients from and be, you know, also it's just time. Time is such a huge factor for small business owners and solopreneurs that maximizing that time in marketing is crucial. So if for some reason, maybe you like doing online marketing, it's fun for you, but you really need to be spending more time on in-person networking. Let's just say that's the example then it's important to say, okay, I'm going to set goals for myself where every month I'm going to attend at least this many networking events in person. Maybe I'm going to designate, you know, one day a week for meeting up with people in person, whether it's coffee meetings, lunch meetings, reaching out, building your network. So taking a look at those types of opportunities and really saying, where are you going to get the best results for growing your business? Right. Yeah. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I want to ask you some more questions. Terrific. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are Two Brain Business 2.0 by Chris Cooper and Leading Loyalty by Lena Renee. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Kim Dawson about building a successful business and some of the strategies that are necessary for that. Um, I had a question for you about people who sell B2C. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's a huge market, obviously. Oh, obviously. And, but, and I understand what, what you were saying about it. it's a little harder there. I mean, I think it, it's harder for a lot of reasons. It's hard to prospect to them. You, you know, yeah. you don't want to be calling them in the evening, you know, dinner time. Um, and they don't necessarily, they're careful where they spend their discretionary income. So, yeah. you know, there's a whole thing there. Um, yeah. So and how does, how, how would you suggest that someone who's selling B2C find their market? Yeah, that's a great question because it is very difficult. And to kind of go off what you were just saying before, one of the reasons it's difficult is because when you're in B2B, we all know 
during the day when everybody's online, whether you're in LinkedIn or, or wherever, or you go to networking events, right? You have all these opportunities to meet with other business people who are there for the same reasons that you are. So there's sort of this mutual understanding about a business transaction. But with the B2C market, it's much more difficult because you don't necessarily know where they are. And if you do find them, they're not really in a place where they want to be sold to. And there's no mutual um, relationship the same way there is in a, in a B2B, right? So yeah. with the consumer, they're going to their jobs, they're taking care of their kids, they're you know, doing their day-to-day -day life. They don't want to be sold to. So how do you actually get their attention? And part of, part of the way to do it, it really does depend on specifically what your business is, but part of it might be focusing on building relationships with the community that you're going after. And we talk about that a lot. And I know you've heard about this a lot, the whole concept of building relationships in sales. And I think that it gets ignored a little bit in the B2C world, but it shouldn't because you can build relationships within your community and then people get to know you and they get to know the services you provide and then they build trust with you. And then as that happens, rather than feeling like they're being sold to, they start looking at you as a resource to help solve their problems. So I think that the strategy here is to show your community that you're, you're aiming your business towards, show them how you can solve their problems, which we also do in B2B, right? We're always trying to solve problems. So it right. could be, you know, if you're selling some type of a service that, you know, maybe helps families juggle busy schedules, I don't know what that would be, but let's say that that's something you do. Um, maybe you provide a service where you help families out with, uh, I don't know, um, managing <laughs> household finances, um, providing go. transportation, whatever it could be. Just know that, that you're there to, to solve a problem for them and then show them how to do it. And that could be, you know, depending on how local, that's the other thing, is this a local B2C or is this more of an online B2C? But either oh, way, yeah, you, yeah, you've got to show them how you can solve their problems. If it's more locally driven, it might be getting involved with other local businesses and maybe having joint events, hosting events, sponsoring certain things in your community so that people get to know you. And if it's more of an online, then it could be more in social media of you know, showing how you can solve people's problems. And that could be you know, sharing articles with your audience. It could be having some type of a Q&A in a, in a Facebook group. It could be a lot of different things. I think it's really important that people hear what you said because I, they have to remember that there are a lot of options out there for them to get their problems solved. And they want to work with someone they trust, who, who they believe in, and that doesn't happen just because you're in the same community. Right. right? It, doesn't, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, well, I joined the chamber. I didn't get any business out of it. Okay. Did you get on a committee? Did you go to events? No. Okay. Good yes. for you. Right? It just doesn't Great work point. that way. Someone yeah. owes you business. Absolutely. And I think, you know, to that point, another common mistake that I think people sometimes make is they do go to that chamber event, but they never show up again. 
yeah. or they or they're so keen on networking in their communities that they're showing up to a lot of different things and then never showing up again like they're just sampling and trying things out and yeah. again you're not building relationships with that way the what I recommend people do is to pick a handful, maybe two, maybe three organizations that you really want to get involved with. And then once you choose those organizations, go to the monthly meetings. Like you said, join a committee, do something more proactive with these groups. And then over time, everybody starts to know you. So if you're in a B2C business, let's say you do tax preparation, right? You know, you get everybody in your groups or your three groups and knows who you are. The next time that somebody says, oh, I really got to get my taxes done. I don't know. Oh, I know somebody. And you become top mind. So the more involved you get, the more you actually branch out that network, even if on the surface, it doesn't seem like it. Okay. You said something. Uh, I mean, you said a lot that was really interesting, but one of the things that I picked up on was when you build those relationships with those people in those groups, they all know what you do. And then when someone says, I need help with my, you know, getting my taxes done, they say, I know someone, which sounds to me like people should not think about the people in their group as potential customers. They should think of them as relationships and understand that they're not necessarily going to do business with them, but they're going to get referrals from them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's the piece we've got to be focusing on. It's not always the immediate people. It's their networks. The more relationships you build with people, the more you build relationships with their people. You're just not seeing it right away. Yeah. So there's really an incentive to always be, making your network bigger really and and then focusing i mean obviously you can't build relationships with lots and lots of people but if you focus on the right people people that you connect with people that and it's not just always oh can this person bring me business i right. think it's actually more i met this person at this event i really like them we both like yeah. to play golf you know what, whatever it is or you found something in common with that person you had you made a connection and then there's a reason to stay in touch with that person oh i'm so with you on this i i am so with you on this i i think people sort of get stuck because they think okay yeah you know what i don't need more friends i need more business and they don't realize that a, you do need more friends because you're going to be out there in the business world and you better be with people you like because yep. otherwise you're going to be with people you don't. And that, that it really is about those relationships you build and the energy and time that you spend with people. You have to ask yourself, how do I want to be spending my time, really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think making those connections and building those friendships is so important because when you when you genuinely like somebody, you yeah. want to refer them. You know, I do yeah. it all the time. I'm constantly referring people to my clients when they need something that, you know, it's a service I don't provide, but they need it from somebody else. I think of, oh, I really like that, that person over there. Oh, she's great to work with. I'm going to recommend her. And yes, I'm going to make sure that they have the qualifications and the skills needed, but right. just having those two things is not enough for me to refer somebody. They really right. need to be somebody that I like. 
and that yep. I trust and that I think yep. will get along well with the other person because they're really friendly and they're outgoing and they're helpful. They're responsive. Exactly. Now, I have one last question about this because I'm curious what you think about um, a scenario. I've known people who have joined the Rotary, not necessarily because of the great work the Rotary does, but because they think their prospect pool is there. I find that the wrong reason to join the Rotary. I'm, right. I'm curious, you know, where, where you're at. I would what, agree. What I would agree. Be. I think that it's, and that's, you know, and you just, that you touched on this, the problem that, that is so prevalent there. Don't just go after business because you think you're going to get something out of it. It's yeah. not about, it's really not about that. And we hear that a lot. It really is not about that. It's about contributing. It's a, because when you contribute and you do good work, it does come back to you. You have to have faith in that. It does come back to you. But align yourself with organizations that align with your values. Don't just join something because you think your people are there. Because it's a fake thing to do. I don't know if there's a better word for it, but it's just, it's a fake thing to do. Get involved with something you're really passionate about because then you join this group and they're passionate about this cause and you're passionate about this cause. You're going to want to be there. You're going to want to go to those meetings. You're going to want to volunteer. And like you said, the Rotary Club does a lot of really good charitable work. So if you believe in those things, then join them and, and, and reap the benefits of belonging to such an organization. And then the business will eventually come. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think, I, I so agree with you that, that it is so fake. And people see that. And once they know that, that you're not there because you have a belief in the organization and its mission and its vision and you want to be contributing to it, but because you're just fishing in yep. a pond, it works against you. It doesn't help you in any way. Oh, absolutely. Because people, like you said, people see through it. It's the same thing if you've ever been to a networking event and you have somebody that's just handing out their business cards all over the place or, or throwing them on one of the tables. Like, oh, find my business card somewhere over there. I threw it next to the coffee. Like, it doesn't mean anything. You know, take the time. If you go to an event, don't worry about how many people you gave your business card out to. Instead, say, you know what? If I make one good connection today, if, yeah. I, if I sit down and talk to somebody for a good 15 minutes and get to know them, ask them questions, I, I'm a huge fan of that in, in networking is, you know, really try to get to know the people that you're talking to and ask them questions that matter. Ask them things that make them feel like they want to talk to you. Right. And then they're going to walk away saying, you know, I really liked her. She, she was easy to talk to. I got to share some of my thoughts on things. That was great. I'm going to have coffee with her sometime. That's what you want to happen when you go to a networking event. You don't want everybody to have your business card and connect with you on LinkedIn and never talk to you again. What's the point of that? Exactly. You have to think about the long term. Absolutely. Right? What, what's going to happen through the long term on this? It's not quick hits, right? You, you yep. can't be in business for the quick hit. Otherwise, it's yep. too hard to do. You, you got to stay okay. engaged. Yep. You do. You do. Exactly. Now, talk to me some about um, profitability. Because, the, you know, when we, when we were talking before about how do you price your, how do you know you have the right price? And, you know, you were saying people just think about um, replacing their income 
I find a lot of solopreneurs and a lot of service business uh, people have terrible cash flow and, th and they'll say, okay, but I'm, you know, the revenue's coming in. Yeah. Okay. But what's going out? So, you know, talk some about that if you would. Yeah. And I, I think there are a lot of issues in that. So for one, as far as what's going out, it could be that their expenses are too high. It's very possible, depending on what, you know, what they're spending their money on. Are they signing up for a lot of online courses that now sit in their inbox and they've never been opened? Um, are they spending a lot on subscriptions for half of the software programs they're never actually using? So definitely take a look at what your expenses are and make sure that you're not overspending on things that you don't need to be spending on. That being said, I tend to find more often the case is not so much in the expense piece, it's in the pricing. So people will have money coming in, but they might not be charging enough because they haven't taken the time to run the calculations. So they say, oh, I'm so busy, I have 10 clients, I, I don't even have time for anything anymore, but I only made this much last month. And so my question to that is, if you are at full capacity with your clients and you're still not making enough money coming in with the cash flow piece, it's time to look at your pricing. It's time to look at the amount of time that you're spending in this. So for an example, uh, sometimes I work with people in the photography business and photographers, I'm going to use this as an example. You can have a photographer that says, oh, you know, I'm going to do these portrait sessions and I'm going to charge $200 for a portrait session. The portrait session is an hour. The back and forth between the client and them is another hour. The editing of the photos is another two hours, right? And this list goes on. And so when they finally add it up, they've worked five hours on this portrait session that they charge $200 for. Yeah. And taking the time to really look at that is what, where the critical piece is to say, well, First, you got to figure out what your hour, hourly billable rate is. And I would like to add on that. It doesn't mean that you go to your clients and say, here's my hourly rate. That number is used so that you can figure out what you need to be billing in a proposal or in a project and what you need to be bringing in your business in order to pay for your expenses and keep yourself in a profitable place. But when you look at that and you say, well, okay, this portrait session takes me, I'm going to say four hours. This portrait session takes me four hours. Every portrait session takes me four hours. And let's say that you need to be bringing into your business $200 an hour in order to cover everything. Then you say, well, that means that my portrait sessions, I need to be charging $800. That's what my rate needs to be. So when you take a look at that, you will probably find if you are in this position where the cash flow is really low, but you're busy and you've got clients in the door and you don't know what's going on, it's probably in the pricing piece that you're not accurately charging based on the amount of time. Okay. What do you do then? Um, you figure it out. You realize you're really not charging enough. You need to increase your rates. Yeah. How does someone do that and still keep their clients? Yeah, that's, that's always the scary piece, right? Like if I yeah. do this, how am I going to keep my clients? So the first thing that I always say is you can't afford not to. 
And what I mean by that is, let's just use my example of the photographer. If you are only charging $200 for something you need to be charging $800 for, yeah, it's great you got clients in the door, but every client that's coming in is actually costing you money. It's costing yeah. you money because you're not charging enough to cover your expenses and your salary. So why would you continue to stay on this path of undercharging just to keep people in the door? Because at the end of the day, what you're really doing is you're, you're working all day, every day, and you're not making any money. Why would you even bother? So I always try to start with that to remind people the, the reason behind doing this. But the second piece is how do you actually then go about telling your clients that your rates are, are increasing? And one of the things that I recommend is if, it has, if you have current clients that you need to up your prices with, I recommend send out an email to your clients, if they're you know, on an ongoing basis, right? People that are constantly coming in for business and you've now realized you need to charge them more. You send them a nice email and the technique that I use, some people call it the sandwich technique. There are different names for it, but you start off with something positive. You tell them how much you've enjoyed working with them, how much you love having them as a client, um, remind them of all the great success that they've had with you. And then you go into the second piece, which is, by the way, as we are now, um, you know, we've been, you, you can make up whatever reason makes sense for your business, but say, you know, we're now at a point where we want to provide better customer service or better client service for our clients. And in order to do that, it is now time for us to raise our rates. Because really it is at the end of the day about client service, because if you're being paid fairly for your time, you're able to devote that time to your clients and give them excellent service. So you go into that and say, you know, we're, we're increasing our rates. And then you finalize it with another positive note of, again, how much you've loved working with them, all of the excitement for the future that you have working with them, some of the ideas that you have for working with them in the future. And if they have any questions, you are more than happy to answer them. And I recommend starting with that. And emails are great because it allows you to really think about what you want to say and craft it in, in this format in a, in a very articulate way. And then when the client receives it, they know that you're sending this to all of your clients, that you're not singling them out, that it's, it's a standard policy. People also know that everybody raises their rates. Everything goes up. The cost of everything goes up. Um, yeah. We know this, right? So that comes into it. And then if people do feel like they have a question or if there's an issue, you are there to answer their questions. And um, I have not in my history seen a lot of people follow up after my clients have done things like this, you know, sent out the emails. I've not heard of many times where a client picked up and said, oh, well, I saw you're increasing your rates. Why? What's going on? Most people usually know. And I think yeah. if you do a good job in that email, they understand. Now, here comes the second piece to this. Let's say somebody does come back to you and they say, oh, I just can't afford your new rates. I can't do it. I can't swing it. So what's my response to that? My response is they aren't then in your market and you need to start refocusing on your niche, on your target audience. Because if your business is structured in a way based on the services you provide, the cost of running your business, if your business is set up in a way that you need to make $200 an hour and you have someone that says, I can't afford those rates, they're not your market. So you have to be willing to let those people go and then take your effort and your time and go after the right market, 
the people who can afford those rates, the people who want your services and are able to pay for them. Okay, I, I imagine someone's listening and saying, okay, I get it, I get it, intellectually I get it. Right. And then how do I say that to them in a way that is still positive? You mean if they're unable to work with them anymore? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's funny, it's really hard to give somebody the exact language on that because it's yeah. going to be different for every person in every scenario. But I think it really just comes down to being genuine and honest and letting people know that, you know, hey, you know, I'm a small business owner and I've been, you know, re-looking at my numbers lately and I've discovered that this is what I really need to be charging in order for me to stay in business. And if I continue doing my business at these lower rates, I just can't survive. And real, that's what I recommend, really having an honest conversation because even if you're, whether you're B2B or B2C, we're all dealing with people. We're doing business right. with people and they understand that. If you let them know that they'll understand and they might say, oh, I'm so sorry. I really loved working with you, but you know, we just can't sort of, but I do understand where you're coming from because people understand those types of, of scenarios. And I think right. that honesty will really help keep the relationship in a good place. And I will tell you too, I have seen times where someone wanted to you know, be a client of someone else and work with them, but they just couldn't afford their rates. But because the relationship was good, they still referred them to other people. So they might not necessarily be able to afford what you're offering, but they may know somebody who is, and because you've kept a good relationship with them, they're gonna refer other people to you. Right, right. It really, I mean, as we're talking about this, the thing that's ringing through so much for me is that it's about being honest in all of these interactions and engagements. It's about being honest with yourself yep. about what you offer, what rate you need to be offering it at, and, and being genuine and honest with everybody because that's then when you're, I would think, in the right place in your business. You're working toward the right market. You're charging the right amount. Yep. You're building really good, solid relationships. Yeah, I, absolutely. And uh, people really do appreciate it, and they're much more understanding. And yeah. um, and I will say, even though it's scary, because I, I coach people on this a lot, I will oftentimes take on clients. I, the first thing I do usually is look at their pricing, and then when they do have to increase, they're scared. They're frightened. They're, they're thinking, how am I, I hired you to grow my business and now you're telling me to take this big risk where I might lose clients. What are you doing? And I coach them through it and I just have this honest conversation, present the proposal. This is the number. Know that your number did not come out of thin air, that you calculated it. It's how much time is going to go into this project. This is what you need to be earning. Just be confident, honest, and communicate and then when they get the contract signed, they're so excited. And they, I can't believe they paid this. I can't believe they did this. So give people credit. That's my advice. Give people credit that they, a lot of people do see the value. And they're really willing to pay what you need to be earning in your business as long as you're providing value. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, we, and before we, you were talking about you were going through this is the hourly rate, but they're not necessarily going to say this is the hourly rate, it leads me to another question I have, which is how should service providers be or small business owners 
be charging? Is it by hour, by project, by contract period? What is your yeah. advice on that? My advice, again, it always depends on the industry, but my usual advice is to stay away from charging hourly. And the reason to stay away from charging hourly is that it pins too much of time to money. And the reason that that can work against you as a service-based owner is here's a scenario for you. Let's say you start out in your business providing a service, whatever that service is. And in the beginning, you're kind of new, you're not that experienced, and that service takes you 20 hours to perform. So you go out there and you say, okay, well, my billing rate is $200 an hour. Um, it's taking me 20 hours, so I'm, I'm going to bill this at $4,000. 10 years later, you're really experienced. You're great at what you do. And the same thing that used to take you 20 hours now only takes you five. If you're charging hourly, are you telling me that you're now going to drop your rates because you have 10 years more experience and 10 years more, it doesn't make any sense, right? But if you start out by billing on an hourly rate, you actually build in that mindset and you'll, you'll find, you'll say, oh, well, you know, that's only going to take you five hours. I'm just going to charge you this. When really you should be charging them for the enormous amount of value that you're providing. So yeah. that's, that's one issue I see with the hourly. The yeah. other issue I see is that People sometimes have a hard time judging how much time something's going to take, even if they are really experienced, because we all know nothing is cookie cutter. Every project is different. Every client is different. Things can go in different directions. And something that in the beginning, if you say to somebody, oh, I think this is going to take me 10 hours. Here's my billing rate. You give them this budget. You give them this idea of what you think it's going to charge. And then you turn around and there's all different things thrown at you left and right, and you realize that something you thought was going to take you 10 takes you 40. Now you go back, what are you going to do? Say to the client, I got to bill you for an extra 30 hours. Right. Like they don't want to hear that. And then, or what usually happens is the service provider is scared to do that. So they wind up eating the money, which is even worse. And now you've just put in 30 hours of work that you're not even getting paid for. So the better thing to do is to really bill based on projects and based on contracts and then do estimates. You're always going to have to estimate at, at some point. But let's say you're working on, you know, an example might be if you're a social media marketing manager, somebody who does people's social media for them. Maybe you set up a monthly contract where you sit down and say, okay, well, I can take on 10 clients a month. I need to be making $10,000 a month in my business. That means I need to charge each client $1,000 a month because that's, you know that that's how much you have time to do. So you charge them $1,000 a month and whether or not their work takes you three hours or five hours, it doesn't really matter because either way, you're getting paid what you need to get paid to do that job. They're happy because they're getting what they want from either getting this monthly maintenance of social media. And you're happy because not only can you rely on this amount of month, um, money every month, but it also helps you in projecting your cash flows. So it's right. kind of a win-win for everybody. And they're not looking at, oh, well, it only took you three, even though last month it took you five hours. You know, can't you cut me a deal? Like you don't have to worry about any of those conversations. I'm only laughing because we've all had those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh it my. is. It's, 
it's just not a situation that you want to be getting yourself into. And I think that while all of us would agree, time is hugely valuable. It's probably our most valuable asset. We don't necessarily want to be billing people by the hour. We, we want to be providing projects. It's not only is it easier for all the things that I said before, but it also is easier because it allows you to give better customer service to your clients. Because if you know that your client only has a certain budget and you're going over that in an hourly setup, you're less likely to do that extra work. But if you're yeah. billing up front for that and you say, well, if you're going to work with me, it's $5,000 a month. This is what my retainer is, however you set it up. You're happy to do this extra work because you're already getting paid for it and you're giving them better service, which they, you know, which they really like. The other That's piece a great of this, point. thank you. The, the other piece of this is that you don't necessarily want your clients thinking of your work as an hour by hour thing. You want them focused on the results as much as you're focused on the results. So if somebody hires you to say, do a new website for them, you're developing a new website, it's not about the hours you put in. It's about the beautiful website that they're gonna have at the end of the project. So, right. So have the, have the price of that, the investment of it, if you will, have the investment be associated with the final product. Rather than, oh, well, it took me an hour to set up your MailChimp and it took me another hour to do this. Nobody wants to deal with that. Do you think, I'm listening to you talk about that and I'm thinking if, if more um, service providers looked at, their, at, at pricing their work as from the value standpoint and project-based, maybe they would feel stronger about the pricing that they develop because like they're teaching themselves to look at the value instead of how many hours it takes them to get something done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, and that's a great point because what that makes me think of is if you're really focused on profitability, if you get stuck in the hour by hour, you're, you're not in a scalable model and, and you're really focused on, I work an hour, I get paid an hour. I work an hour, I get paid an hour, which maxes you at a certain point. Yeah. And really, you don't want to be in business to say, oh, this is my cap. This is all I'm ever going to make, no matter how hard I work. Because if that's where you were, it's actually easier to just work for somebody else and let them pay you a salary. Right. One of the beautiful things about being an entrepreneur is that you could be a little bit more creative and out of the box and say, you know, I can work really hard, but I can also have ways to scale my business. And I can also have higher limits on my profitability and on, and on my um, annual revenue. So by getting out of the time-based model and going more into the value-based, it gives you the opportunity to feel really good about your work and to feel that you're really having the opportunity to be truly profitable in your business. And I would add too, you know, kind of to what you said before, um, it's sort of a mind piece issue, but if you can look at it from more of a project base or a contract base, it, it allows you to be able to, I guess, to, to feel good about the value more than the time. I think, it, you know, right. there's, some, there's something there about that. If you say, you know, going back to the website example, if you charge people $10,000 for a website, 
it's easier to say, yeah, I provided really good value because yes, they, they spent $10,000 on that website, but think about how much their business is going to grow because right. they have this great website that has all the functionality that they needed. Their clients are going to have a great customer experience. You're really helping them build their business and you're helping them sell and you're helping them get clients. There's a value to that. Exactly. It's about the end result. I love yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Kim, I got to tell you, this is so great. I appreciate the information and I am positive um, that there are people listening who are thinking, wow, you know what? I, the, my pricing is something I definitely need to take a look at and they need to know how they can find you in order to be able to do that effectively and get coached through the scary part. So will you tell the listeners how they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is kdawsonco.com. And um, you can connect with me on there. There's, you know, you could um, reach out. I'm also on many of the social platforms. My handle is at sassy strategist. So you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook and Twitter on LinkedIn. I'm Kimberly B. Dawson. And um, happy to connect in any of those platforms. And um, I also do have a pricing template that people can access on my website and it's a free download. And if you want to just work through your own pricing, you are more than welcome to go to kdawsonco.com and download that pricing template. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and tell them about your podcast, please. Oh, yes. Thank you. So I am also the um, host of the Sassy Strategist podcast, and I love doing my podcast. I'm sure you love doing your podcast as well. It's, it's just super fun. And I interview subject matter experts on all of the how-tos on building and growing your business. Fabulous. So guys, go, go listen to that one too, because that's, you know, she's got some great information and reach out to, to Kim. It's really, this is such an important topic for being successful, less stressed, living a fulfilled life, you know, everything we talked about at the beginning. So uh, do yourself a favor and overcome this obstacle if it is one you are experiencing because it makes a difference. <clears throat> and uh, I should thank you listeners because um, you're who we're doing this for. And I, I think you had a, a great episode today. I'd also like to thank our sponsor. If you would like a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook, just go to audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up. And as always, uh, please remember to um, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Pip, 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 powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Full send with the driver? Check. Piercing iron through the wind? Check. Low checker, high spinner, flop to a tight pin? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them all. 
The all-new TP5 and 5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern, engineered for more distance, more control around the green, and better stability in the wind, it's the hottest tour ball in golf. So no matter what shot you face, there's one ball that's better for all. The TP5 and 5X from TaylorMade. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.